Welcome back to the Healthcare Now podcast. I'm Ron Rotman. Today we have Dave Lewis, a global advisory CISO at Cisco Security, joining us. Dave has 25 years of experience in the IT security operations and management, including a decade dealing with critical infrastructure security. We're excited to have you on the pod today. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Of late, cyber attacks are of particular concern for the healthcare sector as attacks directly threaten not just the security of the hospital systems, but also the health and safety of patients. These healthcare organizations are particularly vulnerable as criminals can quickly sell patient information and billing information on the dark net. Ransomware's ability to lock down patient care and back office systems make lucrative ransom payments more likely. Internet-connected medical devices are susceptible to tampering and hacking because people never think to secure these devices. Dave, from your standpoint, what do you see are the key challenges and opportunities with the rise in these cyber attacks? Well, the challenges and opportunities are pretty much one and the same in my way of uh, looking at things. You know, we have had the better part of a year and a half where we have had remote workforces the glo- all around the globe, and healthcare has been affected by this as well, with the added, you know, complication of a pandemic they've had to contend with themselves being frontline workers. So unfortunately, in a lot of ra- ways, they have become a target for attacks, and this has been a great opportunity for them to, you know, look for help. Uh, you know, away from their core competencies, you know, dealing with trusted partners and things to that effect in order to shore up their defenses, because by virtue of the fact that they're in the media so much, they have drawn the attention of the criminal element and uh, they are looking to either gain access to information or cause mayhem wherever they can. Dave, talk to me about something called security debt. What exactly is it? So security debt, in the way that I like to characterize it, is a technological debt that has manifested into a security issue, either over time or by virtue of an interconnect with another application or human uh, interaction, whatever it happens to be. And this is where that technological issue that may have been in place for some time or by happenstance has become a security exposure for that particular organization. Like, for example, there are various bits of uh, software that have to be updated at certain points in time. And we've seen instances where there was a hospital in Germany that had to update a particular piece of software. But between the point where the exposure was noted and the patch was available, attackers were able to install malicious software within that hospital network. And this is one of those issues where, you know, no matter how hard we try, we have to constantly be vigilant because there are these gaps in our, you know, security protection schemes. And we have to make sure we have a solid strategy in place that's going to be able to address moments in time like this. So, I mean, security debt really is about the systems that you've had lying around on your network for far too long and how you're going to manage those because every project to install an IT system is really good at making sure they get everything installed, but very bad about planning how that is going to come to end of life, you know, five to 10 years down the road. And how often should they revisit their security assets? So in order to revisit their assets, there should be a continual basis. They should have a risk register internal to their own organization so that when they do, in fact, identify a risk that or an exposure, such as a deprecated system that's still operating, that they're able to track that going forward, make sure that they have a way to handle it uh, before it becomes a serious issue for the organization. And what's the average lifespan of security assets that are put in place or solutions? 
honestly, these days, I, I don't know a clear answer. It's like a few years now, but at one point in time, we used to plan on 10-year scales. So when we would deploy an application at organizations I worked at you know, 15, 20 years ago, we would really plan for a decade of use. I know that window is far tighter now. Um, and now we have the benefit of you know, being able to deal with trusted partners as well as deal with cloud implementations as well that help make it you know, a whole lot simpler in order to transition to an updated system. And also having the, you know, the benefit of being able to you know, switch out entire uh, infrastructures to refreshed hardware in order to help limit the risk of the organization. So just on that point on networking and device upgrades, um, you know, how often should those be the latest and greatest, right? Do, do we, you know, understanding I, Apple's coming out with new devices all the time and how often would you say, is it also the hardware that's dependent on how new it is to, to help with the security compliance? Well, yeah, this is a risk-based discussion for that particular organization, whoever they happen to be. And if you're, you know, you're making, you know, teddy bears or you're making centrifuges, your risk appetite is going to be different. So that will dictate the the turnaround time. Um, for a lot of organizations, it is far easier for them to swap out their networking gear for new iterations of networking gear than it is to maintain it over a long period of time. So, you know, it could be three years, could be five years, whatever makes the most sense from a risk perspective for that organization. And, you know, to be constantly vigilant and tracking all of these systems to ensure that they do not lapse into a security debt type scenario. And what about IoT devices, like medical devices that are getting more, they're more enabled from an IP standpoint. We talked about this many times in the past about the rise of IP devices and the threats that they now bring in if they're not protected and how a heart pump monitor or blood pressure monitor is just as important to secure as a, a PC or a, a laptop or a phone. What are we seeing around that? How important is it to keep those updated? Uh, well, it's gone to a point where it's absolutely critical because this could affect the patient care uh, and you know, could lead to negative consequences for an individual. And we have to make sure that we're vigilant to protect these systems. It's not like the, you know, the standard consumer-grade cruft that we don't really worry about because it has planned obsolescence built into it. These are devices that are responsible for man, you know, maintaining a person's health and making sure that that data is fed back to a physician so they're able to track that information. So if that information is altered or corrupted or destroyed, that is a real problem. So as security practitioners, we have to be able to help healthcare organizations protect that so that we ensure that these devices are, you know, at least operating within a secure environment, if not secure in, in their own right. And is it is it fair to say that the rise of these IP connected medical devices is just going to increase year over year that we, you know, there might be some security uh Areas that we need to focus on going forward to protect these and, and who's what the future brings. Are we, are we seeing that? Oh, yeah. These medical IoT devices are, you know, it, it's IoT is like the new bacon. You know, everything is better with bacon. So let's slap an Internet connection on that. Uh, at one point, it was Bluetooth on everything because, oh, you know, it just makes everything better. Um, like, I don't understand why my toothbrush requires a firmware upgrade every couple of weeks. This is just sort of maddening to me, but this is the world we're operating within. So when we take that and move away from the consumer grade craft and look towards medical grade devices, we have to make sure that we are constantly vigilant in protecting those because that is going to continue to increase, especially if we have you know events like the current pandemic that we're going through now in the future. We have to be able to, you know, plan accordingly because this could happen again, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. So we have to have that infrastructure and that ability within place in order to react and be able to, you know, accommodate accordingly. 
And what would you say to to organizations? There's an explosion of, of multiple manufacturer devices out there who's making the same product. Is there any benefit to standardization across a hospital on one particular device? We're seeing the rise of bring your own devices or choose your own devices. Um, any any guidance around that? Uh, you know what? It, again, that goes back to the risk-based discussion. So for a healthcare organization, in order for ease of management, uh, you know, being able to rationalize your systems down to a, you know, a couple of providers to ensure that you don't have, you know, 20 different applications doing the same thing, um, that would be a, a material benefit for the organization. Because, you know, the IT folks that are working to protect and keep these uh, healthcare organizations and hospitals running, you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility to do so, as well as, you know, there is a critical nature to this where, you know, healthcare and ultimately patient care can be negatively impacted if something goes wrong. So they have to be constantly uh, working towards that. Pivoting a little bit, zero trust model. I love this term to describe security. What are we seeing its use in hospitals and should they be looking at this strategy and this blueprint going forward? Is it applicable to them? You know, a zero trust strategy really is applicable to any organization, no matter what their aspirations are, uh, be it healthcare or finance or what have you. We have to make sure that we are you know, approaching things in a way that's going to make sense over a long term. And if you have a strategy in place that's going to be able to provide healthcare professionals to operate safely and securely within it, that's the real win. You know, not running around with a flaming sword of justice and saying the answer is no, that's not going to really help anybody at all. So we want to make sure that we're giving them the tools to do the job because they're very good at what they're good at. You know, they are healthcare professionals. They are not IT professionals uh, by trade. So if we can give them tools that are going to help democratize security and reduce risk, you know, which is the fundamental element of any sort of zero trust program, this will help to protect the organization and ensure that they can continue to operate and uh, you know, avoid or at least mitigate the potential negative impacts. So for care providers that are making decisions that could impact people's lives, uh, is a zero trust model more layers of admin and more burdensome to these people where time's of the essence and, and split decisions can take seconds and matters saving someone's lives. Is zero trust, does that mean more, more entering passwords, more logging in, more two-factor authentication? What does it mean exactly? It's about streamlining access control as one core element of that, you know, making sure that you don't have, you know, physicians being able to access backend systems in, in finance or health or uh, HR and things like that, you know, having that network zone segmentation within an organization, having the ability to say definitively that somebody on the network is who's supposed to be there. And they're not there by virtue of the fact that they found a username and password on a post-it note in the hospital cafeteria. So being able to, provide multi-factor authentication in a way that's going to, you know, like I talked about earlier about democratizing security, you're giving them tools that are easy to use. The point here is to make it as simple as possible for them to get their job done and not have to worry about the complications of an IT uh, layer. So if you're doing something like push-based technology, where all they have to do is push a single button and say, yes, this is who I am, then that is going to make their job so much easier. But if you're doing it in such a way where you're democratizing security, you want to make sure you're doing it so that you are improving the security of the organization overall and getting away from static usernames and passwords. And the way I like to look at it is you frame it in the discussion point of you know the house key. You, know, you have a house key that you get into your, your house. It doesn't mean you are who you're supposed to be coming through the front door. If, you, if I drop the key on the sidewalk when I go to work and somebody picks it up, 
that doesn't mean they're, they're supposed to be the one coming through the door. So multi-factor authentication, uh, biometrics, and in the future, passwordless are all technologies that can help move us further away from you know, the house key mentality of a password and have something where we can verify that, yes, in fact, the user that is accessing the network is the one that's supposed to be there. Makes sense. So hospitals running 24-7, usually zero downtime, cost of upgrades or implementation take thousands of hours of planning. Um, The rise of ransomware and cyber attacks, how can hospitals best prepare to defend themselves against these cyber attacks, given the fact that they they can implement a zero trust, you know, tomorrow within a week's time? It's going to take a process and steps to get there. Um, How do you feel that they could best prepare for that? They can best prepare by doing uh, the homework that's required before they ever talk to uh, a vendor partner. So you want to make sure that you understand who the users are in your organization, uh, what the applications are that you need in order to keep the hospital running, and then make sure that you know the hardware that you are allowing to access your network. Are these corporate-owned assets? Are you allowing BYOD to certain portions of your network? All of this heavy lifting has to be done before you talk to any vendor because you know we're here to help as a vendor, but you have to know what it is that you're looking for for us to be able to help you in a succinct fashion. Because you know the days of um, having organizations just say, "Oh, I want the you know the shiny box with the blinky lights," are gone. We have to make sure that we are there as a lo- partner because this is really a long-term uh, commitment on both parts. So we have to make sure that we get it right from the get-go. So having that homework done before talking to vendors and having a vendors that's going to advocate on your behalf to make sure that you get the best security for your organization are absolutely fundamental elements. So wrapping up here, Dave, I appreciate your time today. Just to go over what hospitals can do now, it's sitting down as early as possible, assessing what's in their environment, understanding where the gaps are, understanding where the policy is, and then putting these security postures in place so that we can prevent these attacks. Sounds pretty simple to me, um, where the hospitals for once are acting like the ambulance and not chasing or reactive to ransomware attacks. Um, Anything else that you say can... Like, are we at a time now where we think we're we're at a point in security where we can defend ourselves against any attack, or is it a constant cat and mouse game? Um, we are better positioned now to protect ourselves and you know our healthcare facilities now than we ever have been. Um, but that is at no point a, a chance for us to sit down, you know, enjoy a mojito by the pool. We have to make sure that we are constantly vigilant because the attackers are going to find new and exciting ways to cause all sorts of mayhem as we go forward. And we want to make sure that we treat healthcare very much in the way it should be looked at as part of critical infrastructure. Because, you know, if anything, the last year and a half has taught us is that healthcare is absolutely paramount. And without it, you know, the entire industry, um, every, each vertical can really grind to a halt. So security really has to be constantly looked at as an iterative discussion. Having a zero trust strategy is a great way to reduce risk in the organization. And honestly, that's what it's fundamentally about. You know, reducing risk, uh, making sure that you're reducing risk, reducing costs by moving to, you know, self-service like multi-factor authentication and various technologies like that, and moving away from passwords where you have X number of dollars per reset, and then fundamentally be able to get a better night's sleep because you know that your organization is best protected. Let's hope we can get there. I'm really getting tired of hearing about all these ransomware attacks in hospitals, especially local hospitals in my area. Dave, thanks again for all your insight. Uh, appreciate it. Gives us something to think about when it comes to security. Security by design, I'd probably say. 
Uh, and for our listeners, thanks again for listening. I'm Ron Rotman, and we'll speak to you soon on the next Healthcare Now podcast.